Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good afternoon. It is my pleasure to introduce a special guest today, Dr. Carl Shubbs. He's a well-known psychologist who has a private practice in Beverly Hills, California. For over 30 years, he has been integrating psychoanalytic and somatic psychotherapy to assist patients who are victims of violent crimes and other types of traumatic experiences. In so doing, he's developed specialties in anxiety, depression, addiction, LGBTQ issues, and infidelities, and perhaps other in other areas as well. He also has been integrating findings in neuropsych literature and infant research, as well as somatic psychotherapy practices. In 2020, he received an outstanding practice award from Division 56 of the American Psychological Association, which is the Trauma Psychology Division. And it read as follows, to celebrate you and your fantastic work for trauma psychology and your amazing contribution to the field. So the book he has written is The Traumatic Experiences of Normal Development, an intersubjective object relations listening perspective of self, attachment, trauma, and reality. Now, the first thing I want to say about this book is something about the breadth and depth of it. There's a lot to it. It's uh, very impressive, complex, and uh, it reviews a lot of the literature as well as uh, describing very well uh, Dr. Shub's ideas about trauma which are different. We think of trauma as being associated with PTSD, complex PTSD, uh, dissociative disorders. But, but this is, I think, this is something different. We're talking about experiences 
of normal development. So with that, how about telling our listeners how you came to write this particular book? Okay. Um, well, thank you. Uh, this, um, this all started with my training in bioenergetic analysis uh, around 1972, before I even started graduate school. Uh, I was one of those people that uh, started reading Freud uh, in 10th grade. So for the audience for the book, if you if you have some background or, or interest in psychology or psychoanal psychoanalysis, uh, you may find the book uh, approachable. Um, though it was written for a professional audience and uh, many people who um, aren't in the profession would still have uh, a, a good chance to uh, understand what, I, what it's referring to. So, um, Bioenergetics was founded by Alexander Lowen, and it was an integration of somatic psychotherapy and psychoanalytic psychology, drawing primarily on Freud. I like to say that these are the two legs that I stand on as I've progressed in my education and in my practice. As I was just starting my psychology learning, I was eager to explore other analytic schools, including Eric Erickson's stages of psychosocial development, uh, in contrast with Freud's psychosocial, I'm sorry, uh, Erickson's stages of psychosocial development, in contrast with Freud's psychosexual stages of development. One of my first trainers in bioenergetics was uh, Robert Hilton, um, who's now down in Orange County. And he presented uh, my first introduction to notions of splitting. Uh, he explained how the human organism reaches out to its environment, especially its environment of people, to get its needs met. And when it meets an obstacle, it splits off those needs and again reaches out with an ego compromise. That was his term for it, an ego compromise, a sacrifice of parts of itself, continuing to uh, its striving to get those needs met, yet doing so in ways that its environment, the people, uh, could or would respond to. So he was trying to, uh, so the organism tries to adapt to its environment to get its needs met. So here we were looking at systems of attachment and attachment through accommodation versus attachment through assimilation. Important distinction. Um, so uh, I then uh, uh, took this and in my first job back around 1987, a colleague of mine mentioned Beyond's attacks on linking, and somehow the notion of injunctions against experience clicked for me, uh, building on what uh, what uh, Bob Hilton was was saying, and they fit together with Kernberg uh, and what he had been talking about concerning his definition of an object relations unit, which is uh, a self and an other connected by an affect. And this let me, led me to reconstruct how he had been talking about it. Again, the self, affect, and other. Uh, I changed it to other, but I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, about self, affect, and, and object. And to help me to deeply refine what all that meant. Um, I've been working with victims of violent crime for a number of years at that point. And uh, notions of attacks on linking took on a greater meaning for me focusing on the attacks on linking that are fundamental to the development and organization of object relations or object relations unit, what I call ORUs in the book. 
And this fit with what I knew about the contributions from Wilhelm Reich, the originator of the notion of character structure and, uh, and, seeing, and his notion about seeing defenses as serving a functional role in the intrapsychic organization and development of the individual, rather than seeing those defenses as just manifestations of an uncooperative patient. And that was primarily how things had been understood uh, with Freud. Uh, Reich was a part of Freud's inner circle. So this created uh, a huge change in understanding in the, psycho uh, the psychoanalytic community. Um, what Reich also did uh, was he was central uh, to recognizing the mind-body split in this kind of functional way, even at that early time, what he called psyche and soma. And for him, as uh, he was seeing each as functionally identical with the other. And in that regard, he was a therapist and mentor to Alexander Lowen, who took Reich's ideas and focused them in their applications in clinical understanding and practice in his creation of bioenergetic analysis, or as he called it in one of his early books, the language of the body. So with all these ideas and integrations swimming in my head, especially since being a student, I was a sponge for whatever I, uh, I would come across that I would either uh, take in or, or um, reject or push aside uh, and trying to find my own understanding about what all of the literature was saying. Um, and with that, I still had a lot that I wanted to say uh, that I had learned from my experience working with victims of violent crime, especially concerning issues around transference, counter-transference, and the work of my mentor, uh, Dr. Larry Hedges, Lawrence Hedges, uh, and his work with the notion of listening perspectives. He's down in Orange County, and um, at, at that time, he was writing his first book, uh, Listening Perspectives in Psychotherapy. And he was one of my first uh, uh, teachers and trainers, and it was very formative for me. Um, and so there were uh, a couple of articles that I needed to write first as a foundation for all that I wanted to say about trauma and its roles in character development, especially as it relates to normal development, rather than as just being an artifact of trauma, uh, then recognize, uh, recognizing how those attacks on linking serve as foundations of attachment and development and seeing uh, um, what I've called uh, SAO TEND, T-E-N-D. The SAO stands for self, affect, and other, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, and the TEND is traumatic experiences of normal development. So that's my shorthand. Uh, so it was seeing SAO TEND being not only a trauma-based listening perspective, but also an attachment-based uh, listening perspective. And the three articles were all published in Psychoanalytic Psychology in 2008. Uh, the first two were dealing with uh, transference and countertransference in issues in assessment and treatment of trauma recovery with victims of violent crime. And the third article was uh, uh, related to that and an extension of that, and it was about treatment issues arising and working with victims of violent crime and other traumatic experiences, uh, traumatic incidents uh, of adulthood. And it's an important difference uh, that 
uh, I put in incidents rather than experiences. And we'll get to that soon. So with that foundation laid, I could then move towards my focus on TEND, Traumatic Experiences of Normal Development, and SAO, uh, Self-Affect, and Other. So that's where this all came from. I could take it further at this point if you'd like, or uh, just or are there any questions that you would have at this point? Sure. Uh, I, I do for our listening audience and also for myself. Uh, I wonder if you could give us some examples of listening perspectives we might know about uh, that sort of uh, complement or are related in some way to SAO and TEND. The, well, I Actually, there aren't. This is a, a new, different, and distinct listening perspective. So let me jump to that and clarify what I mean by listening perspectives. Okay, um, good. Listening, uh, listening perspectives uh, uh, refers to um, what it is that we listen for and respond to, uh, that we are keyed into certain languages, certain um, uh, um, foundations of understanding and uh and those can and often are in um in in the psychology literature and in uh in the um in the dialogues that happen or actually more the rivalries that happen uh um between uh analysts about or, or uh, psychologist analysts about the right way to think about things and the right way to listen for things and what you should be listening for and what you shouldn't be listening for. And so even within the psychoanalytic community, there are a whole bunch of listening of different listening perspectives, each with its own point of view. Uh, the the foremost and the, uh, the um, precursor to many of these others is there's a Freudian listening perspective, and there's also a difference between an Anna Freud and a Sigmund Freud listening perspective. There's uh, a Kleinian listening perspective. There's a listening perspective based on constructs of id, ego, and superego. There's a Bionian listening perspective, uh, another perspective of consciousness and unconsciousness. There's a Gratstein or Gratstinian, I'm not sure how he would have said it, uh, listening perspective. Uh, there's one that uh, deals with uh, perspective based on transference and counter-transference. And even with that, there are differences in, we're in whether that's uh, based on new understandings about what each of those terms, transference and counter-transference means versus old school uh, perspectives. There's Winnicottian perspective, um, Kernbergian object relations and again uh, uh kernberg's object relations are not exactly the same as klein's uh there's an intersubjective uh listening perspective an ego psychology one a self psychology one and a relational one again those are all different listening perspectives within the psychoanalytic world now outside of psychoanalysis there are other listening perspectives uh which we may think of as bands of attunement uh, or band that we're looking for, um, or uh, frameworks of understanding. 
that uh, we're looking for and responding to. And those are listening perspectives based on behavior, on uh, maturity, on attachment theory, birth order, stages of development, guilt, shame, Jungian archetypes, character types, a subjective versus an objective, in other words, symptom-based listening perspective, genetics, neurobiology, mind-based listening perspective, in contrast to a brain-based listening perspective, and uh, a listening perspective that focus on DSM-5 versus uh, ICDM, the International Classification of Diseases. So there's a whole bunch of different listening perspectives. And the listening perspective that I'm offering is one of, uh, of an a trauma-based and attachment-based listening perspective uh, um, with a focus on traumatic experiences of normal development and how uh, those experience, experiences are fundamental in the organization and development of character structure. So let me say a little bit more about what I mean by that. Um, from, from my perspective, uh, this is a, a, a listening perspective that focuses on the mind, not on the brain, but on the mind. From my perspective, uh, in simple kind of terminology, uh, though it may not be quite accurate um, if people want to get granular about it in one way or another that might be comp uh, competing, um, this is all about uh, uh, the mind in that uh, it sees the brain as the hardware and the mind as the software. And what, uh, what we know from brain studies is that changing people's experience changes their brain. Uh, and changing your brain can uh, can ch will change your experience. But it's important for us, for me anyhow, it's important for us to think of it as brain being primary. Uh, and um, I'm sorry, uh, as mind being primary and brain being the functional mechanism that uh, enacts the needs of the mind. Does that get some of what well, you're looking for or just confuse you more? <laughs> sure, there's a lot there. Um, I wonder if, let's see, is there a way you could give us an example of the way you see, I know you did to an extent, listening perspectives versus maybe a Kleinian's way of... No, no. What you're, uh, you're kind of falling into the trap of trying to fit it into something that other people are already doing. Um, okay, it's different. All right. Right. It, it's enough. different from all of these. So let me go back and, and pick up with uh, um, where where this all led me and the whole no the whole notion about uh, SAO. How does that sound? Okay, good. Okay. And um, feel free to interrupt me and ask questions as we go. Sure, I will. So the next step for me uh, started with Otto Kernberg. Um, again, in my effort to understand more, learn more about what was going on in the analytic world. Uh, and Kernberg uh, defined an object relationship as a self and an object connected by an affect. So, uh, excuse me, um, 
a lot of people have been struggling with his use of the term object because it seemed like uh, to um, uh, to it seemed to be presenting object as an objectified person or an uh, objectified being. And so I changed the term object, which was the popular analytic word at the time. Uh, and it came from the notion of a love object. But actually, it was, it was understood and used to refer to an other of any kind. So I changed the term to other. Uh, and here, there's a, and I did that to embrace that universality of the term and to make it more approachable and without the neg negative interference or inference rather of people as uh, people as objects or things or of seeing people as objects or things so i changed it to other the other thing that i did was i changed how these three were presented uh visually like in print and i also capitalized them to reflect their presence as intrapsychic entities so uh, self, affect, and other were each uh, um, started with an uppercase letter. So uppercase self, uppercase affect, and uppercase other. And did that uh, to um, present them uh, with the notion that they uh, were elements of interactive and interrelational experience. Um, now self, uh, and each of those also had its counterpart in the same terms, but in lowercase. So there's lowercase self, which is distinct from uppercase self, lowercase affect, which is distinct from uppercase affect, and lowercase other, which is distinct from uppercase other. Uh, so in terms of, uh, of the self, the, uh, the uppercase self refers to... Um, a component of an object relationship, a, a component of an object relations unit, the object relations unit uh, consisting of self-affect and other. The lowercase self is the, comb the combination, the, uh, the constellation of ORUs, of object relations units, as they evolve uh, and uh, and um, and build on uh, growth and development of various linkages uh, within, within that uh, object relations unit. So uh, um, the, let me jump ahead a little bit. Uh, uppercase affect, uh, well, let me see. Um, this might be a good place to give some examples of what I mean by uppercase self. Does that sound good for you? Yeah, I was going to ask about that, so this is perfect. Okay, great. So, um, uh, upper uppercase self uh, uh, is composed of different subcomponents of selfhood, um, uh, of capacities and affects of self, and this is a, a very large but very incomplete uh, list of such capacities. So uh, in, included in the self-component are sub-components of intelligence, curiosity, imagination, artistry, musicality, perception, including things like awareness of bodily state, awareness of sensation, like I feel hot, I feel cold, pain, excited, and so forth. 
uh, also awareness of what actually happened. Bob did hit Fred. Mary did say that John was a jerk. And tracking sequences of events, like first dad came home, then mom yelled at him, and then dad hit me. Uh, and uh, it's also um, the capacity to recognize relationships, like this is related to that. Uh, first there was this, then there was that. And it's also tracking cause and effect relationships. Like I showed you my report card and because of it, you got mad. And because you got mad, I felt scared. And these are uh, these perceptions or these awarenesses and these uh, and the capacity to track these kinds of things all fall within the realm, from my perspective, all fall within the realm of uh, self, the self component. So subcomponents of the self component of an object relations unit. Uh, some other similar one uh, capacities would be adaptability, flexibility, striving for mastery, or and the um, a cognitive function, uh, the an organizing function, which means uh, pattern recognition, uh, like things like. Uh, um, these th two things are alike, are different, these are the same, and they're different from others in this kind of way. And also, uh, the organizing function also includes striving to categor categorize relationships. Uh, and then we have uh, um, the capacity of cognitive flexibility, uh, capacity to alter one's point of view, to decentrate, uh, which is an important um, aspect to pay attention to and what Piaget uh, talks about a lot, uh, the capacity to alter direction of focus within the thought, within the thought feeling action triad of experience, like blue versus red, circle versus square, thought versus action versus feeling. Those are all different. And each one um, uh, in encompasses or uh, refers to different elements of experience and different elements of function. And so these are all different parts of, of the self component. Also things like memory, uh, object permanence, object constancy, uh, the double tracking or multiple tracking, uh, capacity for self-regulation, capacity for self-satisfaction, for abstract thinking, for concrete thinking, uh, for, to the capacity to tolerate feelings in oneself, feeling within, uh, capacity to tolerate feeling in others, uh, capacity to tolerate ambiguity or to symbolize or to symbolize with words. Uh, and here's an important one, capacity to know, to be aware, to uh, engage in self-reflection. Um, capacity for meaning making, capacity to regulate affect. And these are uh, all just some of uh, the capacities or aspects that fall under uh, uppercase self. And one of the most important uh, of such capacities or functions is what I call the organizing self. And I abbrevi abbreviate that as uppercase and then lowercase org standing for organizing self. So it's the upper, it's the organizing self, which I abbreviate as uppercase s, uh, sub uh, uh, and uh, a sub um, type. Uh, and when I mean type, I mean it's written in small letters. 
of org, and I call it, and the vernacular that I use to call that is the sorg, the organizing self. And so the those are just some of the capacities of, of self. So let me just touch base here and uh, on uh, what I mean by affect. Does that uh, work for you? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It does. I, I do have a question. Okay. Um, as I said at the beginning, this is a, a complex topic and right. a lot of information in the book and in your mind and brain. Um, I wonder if we could clarify something sure. for our audience in terms of upper and lower case self. You said something about what actually happens, and I imagine this is or maybe maybe it is maybe it isn't but what actually happens versus one's perception of what happens in other words with the homework or the the child and the father and the child gets a bad grade and the father gets mad and the child gets punished now this is what the child thinks is the sequence could be that the child gets a bad grade the father is upset because he was uh, maybe got a bad review at work and punished the child, which is the final uh, thing that happened in this three-step process. But the child's perception is different than the father's perception. So is that? Well, you're getting into the, um, you're raising an interesting and important question uh and um it it ad addresses the the need or uh in, in my view the need and the necessity to do the fine tuning that the sao perspective brings to an understanding about what's going on mm. uh and what i mean by that is um uh i heard you use the term upset and upset is one of those terms that I refer to as um, uh, as um, and now I'm forgetting what it was <laughs> uh, as placeholder terms. Right. Uh, upset just means not happy, so it doesn't really explain anything. Upset can mean uh, 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 angry, hurt, scared. Uh, jealous, any number of different things, but right. there's no specificity to it. So it doesn't really help us to understand what's going on with each of the participants in the interaction and what's going on in the uh, interrelational dynamic that happens between the two of them. So one of the things that uh, if if we pursue that to under to understand so what does upset mean to you uh and that invites them to go deeper and to find the uh the 
um, the affect terms uh, that help to fill in that affect component of the object relations unit. So let me just jump back to that briefly, then we can come back and I'll come back and answer sure. your question a little further. So what, sure. what I mean by affects are the, um, uh, the emotions, things like love, hate, anger, need, desire, want, sexual arousal, fear, uh, terror, jealousy, shame, guilt, embarrassment, humiliation, excitement, intrigue, fascination, hurt, longing, sadness, helplessness, and a bunch more. Um, uh, and each of those has their own correlation to biological or somatic counterparts that accompany those emotional terms. And uh, uh, affects, uh, as I use uh, the term, uppercase affects refers to both of those both to the emotions and to their uh, and to the connection to their um, biological or somatic counterparts. Um, so uh, in the example that you you would use that you use, uh, if we explore uh, what someone would say when dad was upset, well, what does upset mean? And how did that manifest? Was he hurt? Was he scared? Uh, was he angry? Was he upset? And uh, and expressing that anger uh, by being mean, attacking, hostile, dismissive, uh, by um, deflecting all of what was going on with him and displacing what happened for him at work by acting it out with uh, with his son and engaging in uh, the old school kick the dog syndrome. So taking out his his uh, anger right. on the son or taking out his anxiety on the son. Uh, um, uh, one of the things this um, brings to th this uh, uh, touches on is one of my first lessons uh, about uh, working with trauma, um, and it, it's the notion that trauma is not the external event; it's not uh, the thing that happens to you. Trauma is about the inter the intrapsychic experience of that event. Um, one of my first uh, uh, trainings that I went to, um, uh, excuse me, the speaker was talking uh, about an incident where uh, a gunman came onto the uh, the schoolyard of an elementary school and was shooting it up, and this was you know back in the early eighties. Um, and, uh, so he was doing interviews with the kids and, uh, one of the kids, and I talk about this in the book, um, in the book, I call her Becky, uh, and, um, uh, so he, he asked, uh, asked Becky, um, what were you, what were you feeling when this happened? And her response was not what we might expect. It, it wasn't, I'm going to die, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill my friends. Her response was, mommy's going to be so mad at me. Mm -hmm. It's about her subjective experience of his being upset and taking it out on the kids. Her, his, uh, her objective experience, her subjective experience about what this mean, meant for her. And that then brings us to 
the object relations unit that uh, object relations constellation that exists between her and her mother uh, that that uh, led for her to be focused on that relationship and how this event would affect that relationship. So for her, um, her expectation uh, or her anticipation based on her learned experience is uh, mommy was going to blame her for being in this situation where she could get shot, where she could get killed, uh, and where she didn't do what she should have done to keep herself safe and throwing all kinds of shade of, uh, of guilt um, and imperfection and not good enough on Becky. And that's what Becky was, in, was defending herself against. So it's this kind of, of uh, inquiry process that I engage in and that's, at, uh, that's central to the focus of the book to get to the inner granular experience of uh, what's going on in, uh, in the object relations unit of the moment. Um, does that make sense? Does that fill in some of the blanks for you? Sense. Yeah, that does that does make sense in okay. terms of it helps in terms of perceptions. Uh-huh. What dad thinks or what 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 dad is experiencing versus what the child is experiencing. And that's a whole other point of focus of what dad was experiencing and what she was experiencing in relation to dad who was um uh, being attacking mean and dismissive with her and what uh, why that was from her subjective perspective uh, and what um, uh, what meaning she took from it, um, which is totally different from what or is likely to be totally different because her it's her subjective experience, different from dad's subjective experience and her subjective experience given uh, the resources that she has at that time, uh, the psychological and emotional resources that she has to process that experience. So from early on, um, one of her uh, ways of processing uh, experience is uh, uh, subjectively uh, that it's all about her and her experience and that's, that's what's important. Uh, that's the only thing that exists that there, uh, there isn't the capacity in those early years uh, to um, uh, uh, be empathically attuned to, to, well, no, let me say this differently, uh, to um, take the perspective of another person uh, to, um, for, for that, from those early years, her natural perspective is an egocentric one. The world revolves around me. Uh, um, the sun, uh, the sun comes up in the morning, so I can go out and play. Uh, um, those those kinds of of uh, creations of meaning that are all based on me and based on my needs. So it may be, uh, and um, especially uh, from early on, there's. Uh, to a couple of things that are going on that that early infant 
uh, it operates from a mindset of dependency and need. And part of that dependency is what they need from their significant others, uh, from their primary caregivers, from mom or dad or grandma or uh, brother Bobby. Uh, but what what uh, that child needs from them. Um, and it's all in the context of the child's ability to uh, uh, use whatever resources it, it has to be able to get those needs met. And if they are not able to get those needs met, then it's their fault in their mind. Um, if I can't get mommy to come and feed me when I'm hungry, then it's my fault. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm doing something wrong. Uh, I shouldn't be crying. I shouldn't be, um, uh, I should be able to tolerate this hunger more than I can. Uh, that's kind of, uh, and it comes in the, in the dependency notion of, uh, of the dependency on uh, the child, uh, um, dependency on the parent, to understand, to be attuned to the child, to get her messages, uh, to get his or her messages, her, those being the child, and understand what I'm needing from me and give it to me. Uh, and if they're not doing that, it's because uh, it's my failure or I don't deserve it in some way. And here's where we come to the whole notion, to the notion of splitting. Uh, um, Melanie Klein talks about splitting, but she does it in a different way than than I do, uh, and I think that's an important distinction. Um, uh, let me come back to what I was trying to say. Um, so the the splitting is uh, there's good me and uh, and good you, there's bad me and bad you, and there's. Uh, um, good me and bad me and not me. And, and uh, good me um, is paired up with, in, in the mind with good you. Uh, and we can be uh, uh, attuned to each other. But if you, if you are, aren't um, being attuned to me, then only one of us can be good. And uh, if I'm, if you, if I'm not getting my needs met, then I must be bad and you must be good. And I have to find a way to maintain that construct of our relationship uh, in order to um, in order to continue to get my needs met. Winnicott talked about this in terms of the split between uh, a good enough mother and what he called a uh, bad mother. Um, I took that term uh, and and changed it a little bit, but uh, where his terminology for good enough mother is the mother, and again, uh, here's where I play with the with the um, the capitalization uppercase or versus lowercase uh, to uh, to call um, uh, uppercase mother as the internal representation of the lowercase mother, the lowercase mother being Betty. Or, or uh, Gwendolyn, or whatever you want to name her. It's the per it's the person mother, not the intrapsychic representation of uh, of Jane, the uh, the the mother. Um, and so uh, 
this is all about the internal representations of people and those uh, object relations units that evolve over time uh, as uh, tendrils of object relationships, uh, tendril, tendrils of object relation, relations units build and grow into in uh, uh, tentacles based around the different components of the object relations unit. In other words, the component, the subcomponent, the various subcomponents of self and those subcomponents of self that are linked with other subcomponents of affect that can be linked with the uppercase other uh, in, in these particular ways, but not those ways. Uh, so for instance, and here I know I'm going off on a little tangent, hoping that it will be helpful rather than uh, distracting. Um, uh, so um, if I'm, uh, um, if I'm smart and I can be clever, uh, smart and clever uh, can, uh, and if I can be smart and clever and happy, that's the affect component. And um, uh, mom or mother uh, can accept me being smart and clever and happy, then we've got a complete object relations unit. But if mom can't be happy, with me being smart and clever, then that connection is broken. There's a break in the link between uh, between uh, that self-affect component um, and mom or, or and and mother. Now that may not be true for uh, how um, how fa uh, father, like uppercase father, uh, would relate to to me. Uh, when I am being clever and smart, and he and he and I would be happy in in that interaction. There's an attunement, and uh, so we can be happy, and that creates a um, a what I call a molecule of experience that can connect with other similar molecules of experience to build up um, uh, foundations of characterological development. Now, I know there's a whole lot in what I said. Does that feel clear to you in any kind of way? There's a lot to it, but uh, yes, it's, it, yes. Yes, there's uh, a lot to it. And, and this is the course that I pursue as I'm, as I'm working with people and listening to what they're saying um, to get into the fine, the fine dynamics of what's at play and why. Um, Let's see, there was something else that I wanted to to get to. I forget what it was. Hopefully we'll come back. Um, well, I do have one one uh, question. If yes. you could go back to my uh, dyad, the, the, the father and the daughter. Okay. And they got a bad, bad grade. And the father being a, a um, well, chastise at work, um, not upset, something more specific, hurt. Right. Hurt, uh, crestfallen. Uh-huh. So it seems like whoever the patient is, it could be a family, but if it were the child or the father, somehow I, it seems like they would need to understand the same affective language at some point to be able to tune into the fact that dad was upset or 
the child was upset, didn't have anything to do with what happened at work. The child was upset because she well, got yelled at. So again, how does your theory work with this? Well, it's it's addressing the it starts with addressing uh, the notion of the continued use of the term upset because upset is one of those placeholder words that doesn't ex express anything uh, similar to um, frustrate frustrated uh, frustrated just means I can't get what I want uh, and so that's true but there are other feelings that then come along with the frust uh, with the uh, the literal definition of frustrated. So I may be frustrated and sad, frustrated and, and scared, frustrated and hurt, frustrated and angry, frustrated and hope, hopeless, uh, frustrated and despairing. Um, all of those, any one of those uh, um, may be what frustrated is supposed to mean. And from my perspective, we need to get below the tip of that of the affect uh, um, uh, placeholder to see what are the actual feelings that we're talking about because they're different. Uh, does that make sense? Yes. So let's say we could we could work on this and uh, get the father to say he was angry. Okay. So let me pick up there, uh, and it, it comes back to um, what one of the things I was. Uh, um trying to say and forgot to complete uh which is the notion about uh Win winnicott's notion of uh good enough mother versus bad mother um and good enough mother uh means in winnicottian terms uh the mother uh who is able to uh tolerate the infant's omnipotence and that's omnipotence meaning uh, all, the infant's ability uh, to use all of its internal resources to control its world. Now, that's going to fall short. It's not, um, it's not good enough in the colloquial sense that we use it. Uh, like, um, uh, um, I wanted to get an A, uh, uh, but I got a B, and that's good enough. Uh, it's I uh, I wanted to get an A and I can't tolerate that I didn't get an A because it's it's uh, my getting a B is too damaging to my ego, my sense of myself and my internalized understanding of what I need to uh, to do in order to get the the support that I need from mom or dad or my teacher or whoever. Um, but I need to get the A, otherwise bad things are going to happen in my relationship. Bad things are going to happen in my world that I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to get put down. I'm going to get uh, uh, dismissed. Um, in what, uh, I'm not going to get mommy's attention. Uh, mommy's going to give all her good favors to, uh, to my brother and uh, I'm gonna fall down the ladder of, of importance in her eyes, and that's intolerable for me. Um, so I've got to get the A, and in fact, the A isn't good enough. I've got to get an A plus or a double A plus, uh, or mommy's not gonna uh, love me. Um, mommy's gonna love uh, my uh, uh, active uh, football player brother, 
uh, and not me because I don't like football. I'd rather uh, dance and uh, play music. Um, all those kinds of things that go into uh, our uh, learning bucket of what we need to do uh, for this person, that person, and the other person. So um, the counterpart to good enough mother it, uh, would be bad mother, the, that mother that's uh, unable to tolerate um, the need, the omnipotent needs of, of the infant. Now, what that also means is good mother has to be omnipotent enough for herself that she can tolerate the, uh, the imperfections of her child, uh, that she doesn't need to have her child be X, Y, or Z in order for mom to fulfill her own, uh, her own uh, ego needs, her own um, learned needs of, uh, of what she needs to have her children do as uh, mirrors to her um, good enoughness. Uh, to her value, um, based on her relationship with her her, uh, her own uh, parents and uh, significant others growing up, and how those get acted out with the people around her. So, if she doesn't, uh, if mustn't, if mother isn't omnipotent enough to be able to to, to tolerate um, her her child's uh, um, imperfections, excuse me. Um, then uh, what happens is she will act out her own traumatic injuries on her child uh, and blame the child for not being for not being able to fulfill mom's egocentric goal, uh, goals and needs. Um, uh, there's a change in that word uh, that came from Bromberg. Uh, which was fundamental in which is fundamental in the book, and he characterized uh, that kind of relationship where that other um, acts as a predator, preying on the needs of the of the of their other. Another means the other in the interaction here. The other in in the interaction between mom and infant is the infant. It, coming from the perspective, the subjective perspective of uh, mom's mind and uh, what she needs in the, the world around her. So um, uh, that mother who preys on the needs of the other in order to fulfill their own needs, her own needs, or or that. And here I'm talking about mom not as a female person, but as an, a, an intrapsychic entity. Uh, uh, so there could be uppercase mother, uppercase father, uppercase priest, other uppercase teacher, uh, uppercase brother, and they're all the inter the intrapsychic representations of uh, of tendrils of experience. Um, so uh, his coming up with the term uh, acts as a predator uh, um, launched me into calling that other not bad other, but predator other, because that really defines the nature of that other's badness, that they prey on the needs of other people in such a way at, uh, in order to get their own needs met, even at the expense of those other people. In other words, um, uh, mother, uh, uh, mother Jane, 
uh, and, and there that's lowercase mother Jane uh, inf uh, inflicts uh, uh, becomes a predator on Becky's uh, world, a predator on Becky um, uh, by uh, requiring that Becky fulfills Jane's intrapsychic needs. And that if she doesn't, then uh, Jane, Mother Jane, will punish, either consciously or unconsciously, punish Becky for not living up to the needs that uh, Mother Jane has for Becky. Uh, and, you know, uh, for, for children, um, parents have all the power. Uh, they define reality. The, in these in interactions, re here's where the reality part comes in that's mentioned in the subtitle of the book, that uh, parents define reality for their children. That's what they do. You know, I'm called uh, Bob. Uh, uh, your sister uh, or your, your female sibling is called your sister. And, we, and her, her name is, uh, is Sarah. So uh, that's reality. Um, we, we teach reality. Uh, like, how do I know um, that I'm sitting on, uh, on a black chair? Well, I know because mommy or daddy told me that that's what it is, that, that this is a chair and that color is called black. That, uh, so I learned that when I'm sitting in this chair, this is what a chair is and this is what, that color, what the color black is. So, I, so my reality is this is a black chair and I know that it's a black chair because mommy and daddy told me so. And therefore uh, it's not a red dragon with green wings uh, that spits fire, different reality. And this is where these constructs of reality grow and develop. Like there is a Santa Claus. For any of you who are listening to it, I'm sorry if I'm the, <laughs> the breaker of bad news. Um, but these are our, our realities that we learn from our parents. And when those realities get interfered with, uh, like a kid, uh, uh, a kid finding out for the first time and maybe too younger than they are able to uh, have sufficient resources to this new information when they learn there is no Santa Claus. Well, for many kids, that's a really traumatic experience. Their Absolutely. trust, their trust in, in mom and dad is betrayed. Mom and dad make up stuff. Mom and dad lie to me. And that that's really a traumatic experience. Again, from the subjective perspective, of the child and that's where in in this perspective that's the only uh perspective um right. uh there was one other thing that uh that i wanted to just bring in um because it it fits here what the this sao 10 listening perspective uh does that is paramount is it, pre pre it presents a refined lens on what makes or breaks attachment and on the consequent effects of such experience. And so let me jump over um, to something else that I wanted to share with you, uh, which is, um, oh, that's, that, uh, um, 
which is uh, some definitions of some terms as we're talking about uh, about trauma um, and about my my un understanding, my redefinition of trauma. Uh, so um, uh, my redefinition of trauma is that trauma is a concept, uh, a concept borrowed by psychopathology from physical pathology. A physical trauma is an injury to the body tissue by some external force or agent. The analog in psychopathology would seem to be an external event which injures the mind or, and which traumatizes the, uh, the psyche. Um, and one of the thing, one of my goals in in this book is to get away from notion from things like trauma being based in psychopathology, but to recognize that trauma is inherent in the course of normal development. It's not psychopathology; it's uh, a, a normal developmental process. And what do I mean by psychic trauma? My definition of psychic trauma is that it's the disintegration and disintegration, uh, D-I-S uh, hyphen integration, the break in integration, the disintegration of intrapsychic functioning. And it occurs as a defensive maneuver re resulting from the person's conscious and or unconscious efforts to maintain intrapsychic integrity. And for that reason, it's just, it's a part of the organism, the human organism's um, uh, natural coping mechanism. It's not psychopathology. It's coping mechanism. And again, comes back to, this is all about what's in the mind. The brain is the hardware. The mind is the software. Mm. Uh, and uh, what's therapeutically important about the, about the events considered traumatic is uh, um, the meaning that those events assume in the minds of the individuals affected by that external event, like Becky in the schoolyard. It's about what her mind, what was in her mind that that meant to her. Um, and so uh, uh, let me talk a little bit about some of the terminology that um, may feel like uh, nitpicking, but from my perspective has a lot of importance. So let me give you some terms and uh, and um, talk a little about the differences between uh, these terms. And uh, one of the things that this relates to is what in the book is called the traumatic moment. So let's start with um, the untraumatized untra self. The untra uh, and again, these are all my terms uh, and my definitions. The un untraumatized self is the pre-disintegrated self. This is lowercase self. The pre-disintegrated self, which was fully po possessing of all its uppercase self functions and uppercase affects, and which did not have to sacrifice aspects of its lowercase self in the service of surviving the aggression of the other. In other words, its predator other of the moment. Um, and Winnicott refers uh, to this self as the potential infant. So, um, what uh, at, at what point does the traumatic uh, moment occur? 
it's it in response to the what I call the precipitant event, not a traumatic event, but the precipitant event, it, which is the external event that elicits dissociation within the mind of the individual and leads to intrapsychic traumatic aftermath, which I call the traumatic state, which is the flooding of cognitive and affective material following a primary, uh, a a primary um, external event. And that traumatic event, uh, what I mean by traumatic event, which is, is not the external event that happens, the traumatic event is the breach of intrapsychic structure. Right. The, uh, so here's where, and this gets back to something that I didn't mention before, that was important for me. Kernberg's uh, um, presentation, since it was in print, was a linear depiction of self, affect, and other. So you had a self on one side, uh, an other on the other side, and between the two was an affect. Uh, so, uh, and he he had all of those with lowercase terms. I changed that, and I also changed that linearity from the straight line to take those three different points and turn them into a triangle. So on each point of that uh, um, of that triangle, uh, and I forget what the term is when uh, when the triangle of all the equilateral triangle, thank you. <laughs> um, in this equilateral triangle, uh, um, at one point is a self uh, is the self component. On another tri another point of the triangle is the affect component, and on the third point of the triangle is uh, the other comp uh, component. Um, and when they combine all together, they make the object relations unit. When uh, when there is a breach here, this tra uh, traumatic breach that I'm talking about, uh, one point of the of the triangle is is disconnected from the other two points. This is the attacks on linking that uh, that I'm talking about and that I took Beyond's terms term, though I mean something very different from it, I believe, uh, though uh, I'm not a Beyond expert, but it's it's my just adapting adopting his term and using it to my own purposes here of illustrating the breach uh, and uh, the the break in the in the organization of the object relations unit. So well, I, I, yes, I think if I may say, I think that this brings me back to my uh, original statement about how complex this topic is. And now adding in attacks on linking, this may be a good place to put a pause and plan on uh, some point in the future coming back to explain these very intricate things as as well as some other things I think people might be interested in I I think let me just jump in of, let me just jump in for a moment sure 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 yes it's complicated um but it's a new language and once yeah, exactly. you learn the language it becomes very simple just well, just to maybe, uh maybe try to bring back some people that have that are uh struggling with the language 
once you get the language, it becomes very simple. It took me a long time for me to understand Kernberg. Once yeah. I did, it just read, flows off the tongue for me. Well, I think maybe part two can be understanding the language. How how's Absolutely. That? <laughs> Happy to. Um, so and you had really, a question. Pardon yeah. me? And you had a question? I have a lot of questions, but I okay. think that understanding the language could be the heading uh, for my questions uh, for, the for a future podcast. Uh, and in conjunction with that, how I, I could send you a list. Uh, uh -huh. People talk a lot these days and write a lot about intergenerational trauma. There has to be a way to con connect this or yep. talk about it together. Uh, Absolutely. I'm very, first, firstly, I'm very interested in projective identification, which you do talk about, but I know that there's a lot more to it. Right. As you say, attacks on linking, you use that. Um, it's, well, that's, that's complicated too, but putting these both together, we can understand that language. Right. So it's, as I said, it's very fascinating. And how about if we say to be continued? I would love to. As, as you may hear, I'm real excited about all this, and yes. I'm happy to share it and get it out into the world. Well, that's wonderful, and um, I'm very, very glad that we uh, contacted each other and we were able to make this possible, and we'll, we'll try to make it happen again. Thank you very much.